It is in Las Vegas. It's sitting on the top of the Luxor Hotel. If any of you have seen Las Vegas before, they have this black pyramid there. It's the Luxor Hotel. On the top of that hotel is a light that is 43 billion candle power strong. 43 billion candle powers. It's an incredibly bright light, so bright that it uh, causes challenges for pilots who are flying over the area. They have to avoid uh, so they're not blinded specifically by that. All right, my screen is being observed, it says. Amazing. Thank you very much. Just, uh, we're going to press play on that. There we go, lighting the world. This is the Luxor Hotel. Well, the screen is over here for you, that's right. Do you see it? Yeah? All right, very good. So the, the Luxor Hotel, 43 billion candle power. There it is. So bright, once again, that the pilots have to avoid it. You can see this light from approximately 350 miles away if you're up in the air. Absolutely an amazing, amazing light. Uh, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 60 and verse 2, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. So, while it is true, there are some artificial lights that are incredibly bright in the world. As the Bible describes the earth, it is a dark place. It is a very dark place. And this is a very interesting map to me. I am very intrigued by missions. Some of you heard my story. I spent some time in the Philippines, uh, in the jungle of the Philippines. Uh, I've been involved in mission projects all throughout the world. And this map is very interesting because it shows the progress of the gospel by people group. You can see an area that's mainly red uh, in missions. We call that the 1040 window. Some of you may be familiar with that term, the 1040 window. Stretches all the way from West Africa, North, uh, and then it goes through the Middle East. India is there, large parts of Southeast Asia. Japan is on the far extreme side of that. But you will notice there is a unique anomaly that I'd like for you to be praying for. That is the church in China. Do you see China on the map? You see that a large portion of it is green? That's a fascinating thing to me. Over the course of the last few decades, we have seen a remarkable growth in Christianity in China. But over the last couple of years, there has been a lot of challenge by the government that they have placed on the churches in China. So be praying specifically for uh, the, ch the church in China. Now, let's look at a couple of things together. The Great Commission, first of all, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. As we think of this commission, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We think of uh, the different nations that are there. Think of that map that we just looked at. The United Nations recognizes 237 different countries around the world. Out of those, how many countries is the Seventh-day Adventist Church in? Out of those 237. What do you think? Most of them? A few of them? 210? Is that what you said? 215. So, if you look at that number and you see that, you would say, wow, there is great progress. The gospel is in most of the countries. Isn't that right? Isn't that what it looks like from that specific statement? Are there only 22 left? We just need to find missionaries and stir them up and send them to 22 more countries, and then uh, we're done. Is that it? Well, it's very interesting. Open your Bible again. Let's look at this more carefully in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, 
and let's take a look at these verses. Matthew chapter 28, as we know, is the great commission that Jesus gives before he is on his way back to heaven. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, I love this verse. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all, what is the word, everyone? Nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, the interesting thing that we must understand is that word nations. That word nations is not talking about the 237 nations that we think of in our context today. The word is ethne. If you look at it in the Greek, if you have your... Do any of you have uh, the blue letter Bible? Any of you have the blue letter Bible? Right? D? That's wonderful. Good uh, tool, isn't it? The blue letter Bible. It's fascinating. I know a lot of us have our smartphones, and you can also access it on your computer as well, but the blue letter Bible, you just tap on it, and you can learn the original languages. It's a powerful tool. But this word for nation is ethnos. It's a, a tribe, a nation, a people group. If we, if we look at the world in that context, let's look at the country versus a nation or an ethnicity. This is the country of Nigeria. That's one country. How many nations or how many ethnos are inside of Nigeria? Anyone know Nigeria well? It's a very unique country. It's an amazing place. A lot of challenges. I've been from the north to the south, traveled all over this uh, beautiful country. But the reality is it has 538 nations, ethnos, inside of that one country. Is that astounding to you? So with that in mind, if we look around the world, how many ethnic people groups are there in the world? What do you think? Give me some thoughts. I need some interaction this morning. 2,000. 2,000. All right. Anyone else? How many different people groups that are very distinct from one another. Different language, different culture, different, different. How many are there? How many nations? That's what we're asking ourselves. How many nations are there? We've got 2,000. Anyone else? 4,321.5. Okay, all right, very good. All right, I don't know how the point five could fit in, but it's about 16,600, all right? That is the approximate, and again, it's approximate because we don't know every person everywhere, so this is just what the, the people who study missions have uh, figured out. So how many of these are considered to be unreached by the gospel? Remember on the map that we looked at, there was the red area, those are areas where People don't really have access to the gospel, specifically in their own language. I'm guessing that in our audience today, there are several of you who speak more than one language. If you speak more than one language, and you grew up with one specific language, that's called your heart language. And if you read the Bible in that language, it is a little bit easier to understand. It's more alive in that specific language. So, with this in mind, how many are considered unreached? How many of those 16,600 people groups are considered unreached by the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do you think? How are we doing? What's that? More than 4,000, okay, all right. About 1,700, okay, all right. So the current estimate is 6,700 of those are still considered to be unreached. That means they don't have uh, the scriptures in their uh, local language. Can you, I mean, 
Those of you who are here, I see your Bibles open. Do you appreciate having a Bible? It's amazing for us to even think what would life be like if we didn't have the Scriptures? Or what if it was in a different language that we really didn't understand? It'd make a whole, whole different way of life. But that's the reality. 6,700 people, 40% of the people groups in the world. How are we going to reach them? Well, again, let's turn to our Bible, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Let's read it together. He who says he abides in him, I don't hear you yet, let's read it all out loud. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. This is talking about Jesus. We need to walk like Jesus did. We need to be like Jesus. That is the solution to taking the gospel to the world, living like Christ. Jesus did things not out of his own selfish ambitions, but he did it with the thought of others. And we are told uh, in the Bible, as well as in the writings of Ellen White, that if we were more kind, courteous, tender-hearted, and full of pity, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where there is now one. The work could be finished quickly. We don't need to let numbers daunt us of 6,000 plus people groups. By the way, where are the majority of those people groups, do you think? If you look at that map, keep that map in your mind, out of those 6,700 who are considered to be unreached, where in the world are the majority of those people groups? Yeah, 1040 window, but let's narrow it down to a geographic region, more distinct. What do you think? Asia. Narrow it down. Asia is a big place. India is exactly correct. India has more than 4,000 distinct people groups that are considered to be unreached. India is a challenging field. How many of you have been to India before? Anyone here? You need to go to India. You need to go to India. As soon as you are able to do so, organize a mission trip with your church, with your group, and go to India. It is a fascinating country. One billion plus people. I've been there several times. I'll just give you a traveler's hint, okay? Make sure that when you travel on the train that you get your tickets in advance. Don't do what my wife and I did. The first time we went to India... You know, have you seen the pictures of uh, those people riding on trains in India? India is an amazing country that has holy days in their calendar almost every other day. It's incredible. People are almost always traveling on religious pilgrimages. If you're talking about a religious people, India is very religious in that way. Most of them, of course, are Hindu, and so they believe in how many gods? Millions. 30 million gods. Can you imagine that? And the, the many of the people are, when they hear about Jesus, they say, yeah, we can just add him to the list. It's not a big deal for us. We'll just add him on. So it's a real challenge to help people see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a challenge for them. But many people are when they hear the gospel and when they see the gospel in action. And that's what we're talking about here, enlightening the world for God. But as I was telling you my traveler's tip, you want to make sure to get your train ticket beforehand. If you don't, you could end up like my wife and I and you would have to ride on the luggage rack. That's our, that was our introduction to train riding in India. We had to crawl up above the people and we forgot to take our shoes off and people were yelling at us and screaming and everything. It was quite an experience. The Bible says we need to walk as Jesus walked. We need to live like Jesus did and we're going to look at that. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the light of the world according to John chapter 8. Here in Ministry of Healing, it says Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior, what did He do? 
mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. This is what the world needs to see. Jesus Christ ministry. That's what he did. He was with the people. He mingled. He spent time. And that is where the power was. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, we see the ministry of Jesus and how it had three distinct components. Just jot down that reference. You can read the verse later. But it simply says that he was teaching in, a, in, the, in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he was healing all manner of disease that the people had. That's the way that Jesus worked. Those three aspects are what made Jesus the light of the world. Jesus told us as well as his disciples that we too are to be the light of the world. Isn't that right? Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? You are the light of the world. That's what God wants to do with us. These three components are very important. In Ministry of Healing, beautiful book, page 19, it says, During his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. And that is what we need to do as well. There's a lot of sick people in our world today. Isn't that right? A lot of sickness, a lot of pain. Each one of us can do something to aid in the healing ministry of Christ. Why did Jesus heal so much? If we learn this well, we can understand why we too should be a part of this healing ministry. The Savior made each work of healing an occasion for implanting divine principles in the mind and soul. Notice this last part. He imparted earthly blessings that he might incline the hearts of men to receive the gospel of his grace. Jesus gave what kind of blessings? Earthly blessings, a temporal blessing. Why? Because he wanted people to open their hearts. Was there a lot of prejudice against Jesus during his time on this earth? Or did people just flock to him? Well, people did flock to him, but there was a lot of prejudice that he had to overcome. Jesus didn't go to their schools he didn't take their training. He was from an obscure little town. His birth had, uh, you know, some people were very concerned uh, with his birth. He didn't have the advantages of the world at that time. But he did have something. He had love. And the love motivated him to reach out touch people, give them earthly blessings, and their hearts were one. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1. We're looking at the commission that Jesus gave to his 12 disciples. Jesus gave this to his 12 disciples. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. As we look at this text, I'd like for us just to contemplate, as we look at the next several texts, Jesus sent out his disciples in a specific way, and he gave them an opportunity to follow his example. So what were the three things that Jesus combined in his ministry? What were they, everyone? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Those three components. Let's see if we find them when Jesus sends out the twelve. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Did they have the components of Jesus' ministry? Or were they doing something else? Were they doing something new? They were not doing something new. They were doing the same thing. They were teaching, yes. They were preaching, the Bible specifically says. And they were healing. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we're reading about the 70. 
And in Luke chapter 10, we learn something a little bit more about how Jesus works and how he sends out his disciples. In verse 1, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them. How did he send them? Two by two, two and two, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then there's that beautiful statement. I love verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what should we do? Pray. Are you praying for laborers to go to India? You know why I think the Lord wants us to pray for laborers? Because the more we pray, the more we are going to be convicted ourselves that it's us. It's us. We are the laborers that God wants to use, but many times we're not even praying for laborers. It's a powerful concept. We need to pray for laborers for the harvest, that God will bring them forth, send them out. And then as we look at verse 9, notice what it says. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Is that an important message? It's always been an important message. Heal the sick and then tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Healing and preaching and teaching always go together. In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, we find a parallel to the great gospel commission that we find in Matthew 28. But we're looking at Mark chapter 16 specifically for the reason of what it says in verse 18. In our world today, there can be a confusion over how the gospel is to be spread. Yes, it is to be spread through preaching. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to, what does it say? Every creature. So yes, there is a preaching aspect, but how exactly is that preaching supposed to happen? Is it simply people in front sharing? That's part of it. We're told that preaching, like, uh, you know, um, renting halls, doing public meetings, those are important things. But notice verse 18, the very end of verse 18, the last phrase, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There is a ministry of healing that should always be taking place in the church of God. It is supposed to be a combined message. That is what we see. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and look at the last word. They shall recover. There is recovery with the gospel. No matter what the sickness is, there is a solution for it, and it comes through Jesus. In uh, the book, Testimonies, for the church, volume 9, page 168, it says very clearly, Christ is no longer in this world in person. Oh, how we wish he was, right? to go through our cities and towns and villages, healing the sick, but he has commissioned us to carry forward the medical missionary work that he began. And us means us. Us means everyone. It is not supposed to be something simply for those who have a vocation of health, doctors, nurses, dentists, and so forth. Yes, they are supposed to do medical work, but not all medical work is medical missionary work. There's a distinct difference. How do we light the world with the glory of God? We do medical missionary work. It's the combination of the two things together. The healing aspect, which again, all of us can do something, even if we're not a surgeon or whatever the case is. We can all do something to help heal people. And we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Ellen White, in 1902, wrote these words, We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. And as I have uh, really pondered this, really thought long and hard about what this actually means and 
how it fits into the whole picture. I have seen it in my own experience of how powerful it can be. Uh, you know, I've gone to school, I've taken my training in pastoral ministry, but I have a distinct interest in physical health. And that came about uh, early on in my experience. I was actually planning to be a physician assistant. Physician assistant, that was the program I was going to take in college. And remember I mentioned that I had gone to the Philippines, and it was there in the Philippines that I came face to face with the reality that is gripping most of the world. The majority of the disease that people have in this world can be prevented. And that's what really struck me. It can be prevented. I said, why would I want to focus all my attention on taking away some symptoms and curing a few uh, outer things instead of getting to the cause of this thing? And I got to, I, I stepped back a little bit and I said, we're spending 90% of our energy working with 10% of a problem. Why don't we flip it around the other way? And so that's my own personal experience of how the Lord kind of moved me in my own journey to focus a lot on what I believe God would have us focus on, prevention. Prevention is worth far more than a cure. And I don't know about you, but uh, I don't like needles and surgery and that kind of stuff. I'm very thankful that there are people who are trained in that, of course. I, if I break a bone or need some specific emergency care, I'm very thankful for all my friends at Loma Linda who know how to do all of this thing with great skill. But all of us can do something to prevent disease and help people. It's a wonderful opportunity that we have to be part of. So we're going to look at five reasons why we should do medical missionary work. Five reasons. So if you're taking notes, you're going to have five points here. Number one, people are dying because of ignorance. People are dying because of ignorance. And if that was ever true, it is today. It is so confusing in our world, there are so many voices saying, do this, don't do that, eat this, don't eat that. And one can get confused if they are trying to follow the myriad of voices that are clamoring for attention. But the reality is, as we are sitting here in this uh, beautiful auditorium today, there are millions of people that are laying in operating rooms. They are going through very serious procedures. Um, are there any physicians among us here this morning? Any surgeons? No? All right. So I remember distinctly when I've had the opportunity to be in the operating room, it's a, it's a serious thing. It's a sickening thing. If you've ever uh, been through a heart surgery or you've seen a heart surgery and you, you know, it's just so disgusting. That's really what it is. You can hear the sound of the saw that they're going to use to break through the, the bones. You can hear bones breaking as they uh, are opening the chest cavity to do heart surgery. The smell of burning flesh as they have to open the body to work on the heart. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, I've saved the, the gory pictures from this presentation, but uh, sometimes to shock people, I have a video on open heart surgery where we see the whole thing uh, taking place, and it, it's really quite shocking. And the stark reality hits us, that doesn't have to happen. Many of those surgeries are avoidable. Many of them, not all of them. Like I said, there are occasions where uh, it, something needs to happen, but on, for the most part, those are avoidable. Lungs filled with disease. Again, am amazing to me to uh, drive around our country with, and around the world with such information, and yet people are still smoking themselves to death, smoking themselves into an early grave. Lung cancer, terrible thing. 
Diabetes, this is the result. Often, you know, in uh, um, more industrialized countries, we don't see this kind of thing, but this is the reality of many people around the world who have diabetes. Again, if you go to India, if you want to know a secret of how to witness and minister to people, help them overcome diabetes. It is one of the diabetic capitals of the world. They have clinics. They're diabetic foot clinics, and you'll see feet that are like this, or even worse than this. And ministering to people uh, with simple ways, it's amazing to see what can happen. We have a little lifestyle center in South India. People come in with half of their foot gone. The flesh is just being eaten away. We change their diet, put them on a very simple diet, one that we know works for diabetics. We do some hydrotherapy, mild contrast bath, put a honey poultice on the foot, and then in just a short amount of time, you see the flesh, the pink flesh coming back. You see healing take place. It wasn't very hard, and it saved their foot. Most people, you know, if they have a serious thing like this, a surgeon will look at it and say, it's time to amputate. We can save not only a foot, but we can save a life. So, in Testimonies, page 62, it says, Everywhere people are perishing for lack of a knowledge of the truths that have been committed to us. The members of the church are in need of an awakening that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. Those who have been enlightened by the truth are to be light bearers to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. The message to God's people today is, Arise, shine, for the light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Very powerful statement. So reason number one why we should do medical missionary work because people are dying because of ignorance. Point number two. Point number two is that this work shows the character of Jesus. It shows Jesus' character. It's not simply saying something. It's not simply words. It is showing Jesus. And that is the great power of this gospel message, the gospel of medical missionary work. In the book, Ministry of Healing, I love this book. The world needs today what it needed 1,900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. The world needs to see Jesus in us in those who claim to be Christians, following Jesus. Point number three, as we move along. This is frontline work. Frontline work. What city is this here on the screen that we're seeing? New York, yes. We have some people who know the Big Apple. New York is a challenging field, but medical missionary work is needed. What city is this? No, that's not D.C. It looks like it, though, doesn't it? It's kind of a tricky picture. It's not Middle East. It's not New Delhi. It's in Europe. It's one of the large cities in Europe. Very well-known city. Old. Has a lot of history. It's London. Yes, it is London. That's exactly right. Massive areas like Tokyo, 30 plus million people in metro Tokyo area. Absolutely amazing. Huge numbers of people. How do we reach them? How about this? How about this city? By the way, did you know that one out of six people in the world live like those people in those shanty uh, tin roof homes. One out of six. So if you're living any, anywhere better than that, count your blessings. Anyone know where that is? 
That is the great city of Mumbai or Bombay is another way that people know it. India, huge numbers of people living in poverty, challenging conditions. This is Lagos, Nigeria, a beautiful port city there, um, West Africa. This is Los Angeles on a clear day. Listen to this. Medical missionary work brings to humanity the gospel of release from suffering. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. If you want to be on the front lines of missionary work, it's medical missionary work that will take you to that front line. It is the gospel practiced, the compassion of Christ revealed. Of this work, there is great need and the world is open for it. Is that a true statement in our world today? Is the world open for it? Yes, it is. A lot of people. It's a huge industry. If any of you are into business or you watch things, you look at the health food or the beauty or health care industry in general, it's a trillion dollar industry. People are putting money into it. If people put money into something, what does that say? That means their heart is following it. Isn't that what the Bible says, right? Where your money goes, that's where your interests are. And so people are open to it. God grant that the importance of the medical missionary work shall be understood and that new fields may be immediately entered. There's a sense of urgency. And we're going to see that it's God's plan for every Christian church to be a center of influence of healing that is God's plan to light the world with the glory of God that last slide talked about pioneers and for me when I think of pioneers this is the picture that comes to my mind I don't know about you but this is the picture that comes to my mind this is a family that decided to leave the beautiful east coast maybe Virginia and they were going out west Give me some descriptive adjectives that tell us about the character of these kind of people, of pioneers. Give me some descriptive words. Resilient. Resilient. You had to be. It was tough going out west. Daring. Daring. What else? Adventurous. Adventurous. Yes. If you like adventure, you be a missionary for Jesus. That is true. Some people say, oh, a Christian life is so boring. I mean, you don't have nearly any fun in your life. Let me tell you, if you want to have adventure, medical missionary work is the way to go, no doubt. What else? What else? Committed. committed, yes. These people were committed. They would not give up. What else? Anything else? Hardworking, focused, patient, yes? I was hoping someone would say that, self-denying. This picture represents self-denial in a great way because most of the people who started off on this journey of pioneers had a comfortable home. It wasn't that they were, you know, looking for uh, for more comfort. They had it. Many of them had very nice homes on the East Coast, but they wanted something more. They wanted something more and they were willing to deny themselves, live in a wagon for months. It wasn't the easy five-hour journey like uh, my wife and I are going to take in just a couple of days. It wasn't a five-hour plane ride. It was months journey, often through intense weather, no air conditioning or no heating, depending on what part of the year they found themselves in. It was tough. They denied themselves. That's a picture of the medical missionary work. Was it worth it? You ask the pioneers who made it to the other side and who whatever struck it rich or whatever they were hoping to find on the other side, it was worth it all. They were willing to go through that. How much more for a Christian? Point number four. Point number four is that medical missionary work 
purifies God's people. It purifies God's people. Because this kind of a work, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what culture you're with, this work does require us to be like Jesus. It requires us to think about our own life, what's really important for us, and why we are living. Again, in the testimonies, Ellen White writing, she says, I was again shown that the health reform is one branch, one branch, it's not the branch, but one branch of the great work which is to fit a people for the coming of the Lord. If we're going to be ready for Jesus to come, we need to be like Him. And this is the work that He did. And point number five. Point number five is that this work will open many closed doors. There are many places in our world today where you cannot stand up and preach with an open Bible. You can do it in secret. You can do it in homes. But to stand up like this, to be on uh, you know, recording, to be on the internet or whatever, it, it just won't happen. You can't do it. But medical missionary work can open closed doors. In those countries, remember that map. Keep that map in your mind, that red area. How are we going to reach those areas? Many of those places have laws that are anti-conversion laws. Someone converts to Christianity, they risk being killed. That's the seriousness of it. Persecution is real. Like this family right here. This is a Christian couple in the Middle East, lost their entire home because they did make a stand for Jesus. They accepted Christ. They lost their home, burnt to the ground. Medical missionary work will open closed doors, though. I've seen it. I've seen it in distinct ways. Look at this from Medical Ministry, page 238. The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. This is the part the medical missionary work is to act. It is to largely prepare the way for the reception of the truth for this time. What is the truth for this time? Well, according to the Bible, according as I read in Revelation chapter 14, just open your Bible to Revelation 14, because as we see behind us, there is our theme, Revelation's cosmic conflict. As we see this whole cosmic conflict winding up, in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14 and 15, we see the coming of Jesus very clearly depicted. It's very clear. Verse 14, I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and what was in his hand? A sharp sickle. We understand very clearly from this text that Jesus is coming as the King of Kings and He's coming to harvest the earth. This is the second coming. The verses immediately before this, from verse 6 to verse 12, tell us the messages that are so important for the world to hear. The three angels' messages, as they are called. The three angels' messages are the present truth for this generation, for the world right now. If you were to go to, uh, to the streets with a video camera and a microphone, and you were to put that in someone's face and say, what are the three angels' messages? How many people would give you the right answer that they're from Revelation 14, messages to prepare the world for the final harvest? Very few people. Many people would tell you it's a band, or it's a, you know, it's a, it's a book, it's a movie, it's something else. Very few people have any clue what the most important messages are. How are they going to understand? Right here, what we're looking at in this verse, this text, medical missionary work is going to open the way. Medical missionary work is going to open the way. How should we do it? Well, here is the plan. 
Here is the plan. Let little companies go forth to do the work to which Christ appointed His disciples. Let them labor as evangelists. What kind of evangelists? Scattering our publications. We call those people literature evangelists. So those of you who are involved in literature evangelism, praise the Lord, keep doing it. We all need to be involved in it in some way or the other. And talking of the truth to those they meet, let them pray for the sick, ministering to their needs, not with drugs, but with nature's remedies and teaching them how to regain health and avoid disease. That is the blueprint, so to speak, that God has given to us in how to light the world. Little companies coming together, just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, with the 70, two by two, could be companies that are bigger than that, but they go two by two, teaching people, praying with people, healing people, helping people. That is God's plan. Several years ago, I was very encouraged when the Adventist World Health Advisory had a theme. The theme didn't really catch on, but I like to repeat it every chance that I have because my guess is that most of us are part of a local church. The local church should have this theme. Every church, a community health center, and every member, a medical missionary. Just imagine what it would be like if that was the reality for every church. Would that not light the world? Would that not be a, a spectacle, something absolutely amazing, something so special? Every church, a community health center. So, Imagine with me what it would be like. Someone has a headache. Instead of calling the pharmacy or their local doctor, they call the church. Can you imagine what it would be like? Someone has diabetes, and instead of going to the community clinic, they go to the church. Someone is struggling with mental health issues, depression or anxiety, Instead of calling the psychiatrist, they go to the church. Would that not bring a revolution? Would that not bring light around the world? That is what God's plan is. So I hope and pray that this message can encourage you to be thinking of practical things that can happen in your church. Here's uh, just a few of the churches where uh, we've had the opportunity to minister. This is way north in India. Tiny, tiny little church. What would happen if all the little churches scattered throughout north India became centers of health and healing? What would happen if the large churches, this is Loma Linda University Church, 5,000 plus members, what would happen if the church itself became a center of health and healing. Ministry of Healing, page 148 and 149. The Church of Christ is organized for service. Its watchword is ministry. Some cannot do so much as others, but everyone should do his or her utmost to roll back the tide of disease and distress that is sweeping over our world. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. And then it says exactly what we should train ourselves to do. Taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach Sabbath school classes, how best to help the poor and care for the sick, how to work for the unconverted. There should be schools of health. Where should the schools of health be done? In the church. Where should the cooking schools be done? In the church. Classes in various lines of Christian help work in the church. Now, as we finish up here, I just have a couple more quotations, and then we'll have time for a question or two. If you have a question that uh, has come to your mind during this presentation, but notice this. This is a very serious thing that we're looking at as we finish. Have you noticed that there are some 
changes that are happening in the world, specifically in the United States of America in regard to religious freedom, we have seen it take shape in a very unique way over the last two years with this pandemic. We've seen a lot of different things happen. We've seen some of the things that are out uh, up front that are easy to be seen, but there are also some things that are kind of behind the scenes that are making a, a great change in the whole fabric of society, in the way that we look at the Constitution of the United States. Very serious things. Notice this. As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who would stand for freedom of unfavorable positions, for their own sake, they should, while they have the opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its prevention or its causes, prevention and cure. All those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. Listen, there will be suffering ones, plenty of them, who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. The shortness of time demands an energy that has not been aroused among those who claim to believe the present truth. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've watched uh, different news reports over the last couple of years, and I have seen different parts of the world be absolutely overwhelmed, the hospital system is not built to take care of what we're looking at here and what the Bible describes as the greatest time of trouble such as ever was. The hospital system in the best country of the world cannot handle the issues at stake. What we need is medical missionary work that happens in our homes and in our churches. That is the solution for the issues that plague us in the last days. Let's be very practical. What are some things that we can all do to really take a hold of this medical missionary work? Well, we need to read the Bible with a specific emphasis on looking for principles of health. When I go to bookstores, it amazes me at all the conflicting opinions on health. Dr. So-and-so versus Dr. So-and-so. And there's one issue and there's ten different ideas. And they don't agree. Go to the Bible, follow the Bible. The book Ministry of Healing, which we've quoted from extensively in this presentation, is a very powerful book. Very important. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7. This is a volume that is specifically geared to health work. encourage you to read that. Councils on Diet and Foods, another book that has been used and the principles have been taught at Cornell University from this book, Councils on Diet and Foods. Call to Medical Evangelism, read about uh, nutrition, anatomy and physiology, hydrotherapy, herbal remedies, and gardening. All of these are very, very important, very practical things for us to contemplate. I'd like to give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about a ministry, one of the ministries that I work with. It's called Light. And there's a website you may want to look at, lightingtheworld.org. That is our goal, to light the world through medical missionary work. We have different trainings that we offer and so forth. So please feel free to uh, come see me sometime. I do have a table. I'm waiting for my uh, supplies to arrive, but I am happy to talk with you more on those things. So uh, we have some time for uh, some questions. I was told we have until 11.30 or so. So we do have questions. Does anyone have something they would like to share, question that you may have? Anyone? For, the mental, uh, for mental health in America. Yes, mental health in America. Yeah, there's, um, there are basically 
Yes. Excellent question. So uh, just so everyone can hear, the question was on mental health here in the United States of America. There are different schools of thought of how we should deal with it and what is my uh, response to that. So I believe that we have a wonderful church-based program that can help people like no other program can. And that is the Nedley Depression Recovery Program. It's an eight-week program. It's biblically based. A lot of what we see in our world today when it comes to mental health is focused on self-help, introspection, look within for, uh, for the healing. No, no. We look without. We look to the Bible. We look to Jesus for the healing. So the Nedley Depression Recovery Program, in my opinion, is the absolute best program that is available. It's an eight-week program, as I mentioned. It's uh, evidence-based. It's very scientific. It's biblical, and it changes people's entire lifestyle. It's not only depression, but it's also depression and anxiety. And if you look at our world today and you read any of the statistics that have come out uh, over the last couple of years, the rates of anxiety and depression are off the charts. I mean, there's a lot of people who are very nervous, very anxious, very scared, and very depressed. So, thank you for the question. That's what I would recommend. Yes? Well, on that same line, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the common psychiatric drugs? Not necessarily for depression, but for other things. Um, so, psychiatric drugs have their place, and they, you know, I, I've worked at a couple of lifestyle centers, and as you ask the question, I can see a certain individual very distinctly in my, in my mind, and um, they had some really serious issues, and I remember one day they had an episode, and we were chasing them around the campus, and they were naked, you know, it was a serious situation. Um, for these kinds of situations, psychiatric drugs can be very helpful. For some situations, we can work through uh, the challenge that the individual has and they can get off of those. So it could be what we would call a stopgap solution, just to help them get to the point where they're able to function. Uh, and I believe that many things like that can happen. I also remember we were talking about, you know, people with schizophrenia and bipolar and so forth. Those cases are very, very challenging. But as time goes by, we're learning a lot of how beneficial it is for people with those issues specifically to be outdoors, to do gardening, to do those kind of things. And their brain may be able, well, I believe that every disease is able to be cured by Jesus. That's one thing that I'm convinced of. There is no such thing as an incurable case. There's nothing that is uh, like that. But in some cases, you know, for a stopgap solution, you, uh, people will need to take some, some of those kind of drugs. Okay, we have a microphone. Fantastic. So, is there any questions? Our time is... Almost done, but if there's another question or two, we'll be happy to uh, just raise your hand and we'll get our microphone to you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Helping people who are, in the context of, you know, uh, we, let's see, 2020 mentioned, you know, there's the relationship between religious liberty challenges in America post-2020. Yes. Skyrocketing mental health. The, there are lots of places people are getting checked in now because of how they're not able to follow the information flow that's being bombarded through media, etc. Right. Uh, I'm assuming you probably have been working with some people with this as regards mental health. How and what do you counsel them regarding their media usage as it relates to their mental health? That's an excellent, excellent question. Thank you so much for that. So, um, 
I remember reading a book when I was in academy, and the book, the, the premise has stuck with me. The book is called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and it was talking about media. And it was talking about how media, basically across the board, there are very few instances where this is not the case, but media in general is actually helping us to have what's called programmed non-response. Because of the way media is produced, our brain cannot follow. If you look at the, uh, the classic example is the nightly news. Some might say, well, that's a benign thing. You know, that's, that's not very dangerous. It's not entertainment television. It's not anything bad. But follow this thought with me. In the book, it mentioned this. You just think about what's happening on a nightly news program. You see, over in another part of the world, there's a humanitarian crisis of, epi uh, of huge proportions, of which you can do nothing. They give a 30-second segment on this thing. And before... I mean, your heart is drawn out to it, but before you can consciously say, well, what am I going to do about that thing? You're now carried to a football stadium where all the fans are cheering and everyone is, you know, uh, elated. Your brain, there's a disconnect. It causes this dissonance, and we just cannot follow that kind of thing. So in regard to media usage and mental health, less is best. For someone who's really struggling, none. A fast, a media fast would be beneficial for, I would say, the large number of the population. Just disconnect. The world is going to go on in a much better way. So a media fast could be very beneficial. You know, we're, we're counseled. Uh, I'm on a physician um, email chain where they're, the, the big topic of discussion right now is fasting for chronic disease. It's a huge thing, and people are seeing the benefits of physically not eating food. We need the same thing for our mental health as well. Not partaking of all of the stuff. It doesn't really matter what it is. It could be, quote, good or bad. Just disconnect. Just spend time with a physical Bible. You know, I'm not, I use technology, I have a smartphone and everything like that, but I really believe there is extreme power when you have a physical book and you're opening the physical book and you're taking physical notes and that kind of thing is very beneficial for the brain. It's powerful. Okay, is there any other comment or question as we finish? Time is up here. Time for one more maybe. Anyone else? All right, last one. Maybe it goes along with some of your other answers, but is there, are there ministries like in the U.S. or other places that dealing with addictions, chemical addictions? Yeah, it kind of goes along with media addiction. But. Uh, so I, I worked at a place called the Wildwood Health Retreat, and it was part of the Wildwood Lifestyle Center, and we dealt with those addictions. It's very challenging. It was, it was a struggle. That particular ministry kind of shifted gears. There are very few because it is so, so challenging. So I, I, I can't even give you a list of uh, Seventh-day Adventist centers that help to deal with those things. I wish I could, but I can't. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. But um, there are some seminars, there are some programs that I've done uh, in a local church setting that can help. One of them is called Living Free. It's a program that you can do. It's a pre-packaged program. It's very, very well done from our friends in Michigan. It's called Living Free, and it deals with how to break addictions of all different kinds, ranging from food addictions to sex addiction to shopping uh, to alcohol, to drugs, but it's not a live-in program, which some people really need that live-in program to really, really 
uh, break free. But this is one that, it, that, I've, that I've used and I've appreciated it a lot, the principles, living free. All right, let's pray together as we conclude our session together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you very much for the opportunity that we've had to share together. The world is a dark place, but you have commissioned us, those who are in this room right now, those who are watching this online, those who will watch it later, you've commissioned us to bring the light to the world. Help us to be faithful in uplifting Jesus. Help us to be faithful in making our churches beacons of light in our communities. Help us, Father. We individually need healing. You know each one in this room. You know the struggles that we have ourselves. I pray that you will heal us. I pray that you will do a mighty work in our lives so that we are able to go to this world that is lost and dying and suffering with the heart of Jesus, that we might be able to share with them the beauty of the gospel of Christ. Thank you again for the sacrifice that you have made for us. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.